The resurrection of the crucified Jesus brings transformation, a truth we celebrate every Sunday. But then Monday arrives with its unrelenting demands and distractions. In view of this perennial challenge, we invite you to join us for the day after Sunday, a weekly discussion between a preacher, Chris Costaldo, and a music guy, Greg Wheatley, on the implication of Christ's kingdom for everyday life. Greg, here we are together again. Another podcast. In our worldwide studio. Yeah, uh, let's see, what is this? The New Covenant International Studios or something? I like think that. we're giving tours now, aren't we? You know, we should. I'm looking around here. Don't you think people would love to see where we where we do this thing? They would find it extraordinary. If we describe, let's see, how do you describe those curtains? There are, there are no words to <laughs> those describe curtains those curtains. are just bad. <laughs> you have to come for yourself. <laughs> I, You know, I've been here almost three years now, so I think I've earned the right to comment on the decor. You may. Those curtains are bad. They're classic. But, you know, we have a beautiful church, but those curtains right there are just just not good. You need to come and see for yourself. Yeah. And so here we are. Yeah, we're actually in the uh, choral music room. We have all these boxes of music around us. So you feel at but home in I this feel, environment. I feel, yes, I feel mm-hmm. at home. Um, the, the nice thing about audio is that it doesn't really matter, you know, nobody sees you, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have a couple hairs out of place there and nobody cares. And Do I? <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> you sent me into a crisis. You're okay. Now. You could go to video. I couldn't. I have a face <laughs> for radio for sure. <laughs> well, this morning, well, today rather, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because yeah. we have just celebrated Pentecost Sunday. Yeah, Pentecost uh, on, uh, boy, I've even forgotten the date now, but uh, recently. Sunday before last. Yeah, Sunday yeah. before last as we sit here today. And uh, you preached a sermon on, uh, uh, people might have found it unusual in the sense of the choice of text. Yeah. You probably think about Acts 2 when you think about Pentecost or one of the other classic um, texts on the Spirit, but really an important text uh, because it has to do with how the Spirit enables gospel proclamation. That's right. right. That's right. First Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, I started off by talking about the most frightening real estate on the face of the earth, the two square feet behind a pulpit mm. from which an individual proclaims God's word. Yeah, you notice I never go there. Uh, <laughs> you find a way to <laughs> sort of step around that, don't you? <laughs> I leave that to you guys. <laughs> Well, it is frightening when you consider what you're doing. Hmm. And uh, then I, I mentioned Charles Spurgeon's practice of approaching the pulpit at the Metropolitan Tabernacle by saying to himself these words, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, you know, we say those words uh, if you're in a church that, um, that utilizes the Apostles' Creed, as we do every week. You say those words every single week you gather. There they are, embedded in the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, And we do. And yet, if we really stop and think, what are we saying when we say that? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not just, I mean, mean, it ought to be more than just uh, affirming that we believe the Spirit is one of the persons of the Trinity. What do we believe about about the Holy Spirit? Well, and that's precisely where I went with the illustration. So when when Spurgeon was saying those words, what was he trusting the Spirit of God to do Hmm. on his behalf? And uh, I suggested from that text that the the work of sanctification, the work of carrying us through suffering and being a witness in this world, these are things we can't possibly do in and of ourselves. Right. Do you think, Chris, that one of the things that would help us in understanding the Spirit, I, I've heard people say this probably all my life, is that part of the problem in our understanding of the Holy Spirit is 
we aren't thinking of a person. We're thinking of an it mm-hmm. or a force or some kind of dis, you know, ethereal. Because probably because of the word spirit. Yeah. Or if you're really old and you grew up on the old KJV, it was Holy Ghost, right? That's right. Um, and if we begin to think, no, that that's a person, uh, it, it helps to personalize and make it a little less off-putting, don't you think? Yeah, you know, or breath, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. some literal translations of the Old Testament, ruach, for example. Um, so yeah, we, we can think, and popular spirituality today, right? New Age movement, yeah. yep. you need to get in, so, in touch with the, with the oversoul uh, and the, the transcendental force. Um, so yeah, it's easy to see the Holy Spirit in that yeah. light. Is it fair also to say, I mean, Jesus said, if I go away, I will send the Spirit. And then he, he talks about some of the things the Spirit would do. He'll mm-hmm. remind you of my teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, he, you know, Jesus says, um, I have a lot more I could tell you, but you can't handle it right now. Yes. But when the Spirit comes. Yes. So is it fair also and helpful maybe to say, well, the Spirit is never going to do anything that Jesus wouldn't do. And he's simply, in some ways, helping us learn more from Jesus, isn't that right? I think that's crucial to recognize yeah. that the mission of the Spirit is to direct attention to the Son, uh, to, to lift up the name of Jesus, to, to advance the mission of Christ in this world. Uh, so let's take a moment and think about what are the, the works that the Holy Spirit accomplishes. And I, I suppose if we were to run through a list, one we might identify at the outset is regeneration, mm-hmm. providing life uh, to those who are dead. So when you think about that, I wonder if there is a particular passage of Scripture that comes to your mind that illustrates mm. this work of the Spirit. Wow, you put me on the I spot. I am putting you on the spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have one. Yeah, tell me because I, <laughs> right now I'm not. You know, I'm kind of drawing mind a blank goes here. To the Valley of Dry Bones. Okay, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, Ezekiel's walking to and fro, mm-hmm. and it's nothing but death. Mm-hmm. And he speaks the word of God, and the spirit of God is hovering, and he enjoins these bones, yeah. and pretty soon they're covered with with flesh, and uh, there emerges this this army of the Lord. Hmm. To think that's that's what happens. Yeah, when those who are dead, yeah, come to life. Yeah, and now we're getting into a really crucial part of our theology, aren't we, that um, sometimes, if we aren't careful, we're tempted to think that um, our salvation or Jesus saving us is really kind of an improvement project. Right. Um, it's, not a, it's not a life from death deal. It's sort of a, well, I got some flaws and Jesus fixed them up for me. But that's not really what we're saying, is it? I yeah. mean, we, this, is a, this is a death and life kind of situation. Have you heard that story about Erwin Lutzer when he taught preaching? at Trinity so, right? Seminary. Yeah. I used it a while ago. It would have fit nicely in this sermon, but apparently he used to take his class to a cemetery. Oh, yeah. And they were all standing around, right? And yeah. and he would instruct one of the students to preach to the person who is now six feet under and dead. And of course, the student would look at him <laughs> incredulously. But he would preach a, a sermonette. And then Pastor Lutzer would instruct the student to give an invitation. And just invite mm-hmm. the person to come out of the grave. Uh and so after a pause, the, the student would do it. And then he would explain, Lutzer would say, um, this is what it looks like when we preach the gospel. Mm. That when we're speaking to those outside of Christ, we have individuals who are dead. Not just ill, to your point. Not, you know, those who yeah. are not just going to be improved, but, but those who are in utter darkness, 
and it requires the enlivening presence of the Spirit mm-hmm. to lift them out of that yeah. death. And that's a whole different situation than saying, um, you know, I really need some serious help here. Mm-hmm. Um, look in the mirror and say, I'm not what I should be. It's it's deeper than that. And and so, as you say, uh, you folks who, who preach every week, um, there's, there's no clever words that are going to bring that person to life, are there? Yeah, and it could be really discouraging to think, yeah. oh my, what can I do to help my neighbor or my relative whom I care about come to know Christ and experience this the life of the new age? Well, you know what? There is nothing we could do. That's really the point. Yeah. And it's that's why Paul calls it the foolishness of the gospel. We open our mouths and we articulate this message, mm-hmm. and it's only because the Spirit of God is working through the message yeah. that there's any hope. And I say, if I kind of turn that on its head for a minute, one of the things as you were saying that that I think can be really encouraging to the Christian is to think about what you just said, that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness unless mm. it's unless you've been enlivened by the Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And so the encouragement for the believer is, wow. I heard somebody say this one time, and I can't remember who it was. They said, um, I think it was Alistair Begg, who said, one of the things that encourages me that I'm a believer is that I keep showing up every Sunday to church, hearing the message, and believing it. Mm-hmm. And really, when you think about that, we couldn't do that on our own, could we? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a bunch of foolishness for the mind that isn't enlivened by the Spirit. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, so it's believing in the first place, but then it's persevering. Yeah. The fact that we continue to look heavenward and trust. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, that's not our sinful nature producing right. faith. Right. It's God giving it to us by his Spirit. Yeah. Okay, so we have regeneration. How about illumination? What, illumination. what comes to your mind when you hear that uh, word? Well, I think about... on the spot again. Yeah, I, I think about... I don't know about a verse, yeah. uh, but I th- the concept to me has to do with the Spirit um, making understandable to us mm-hmm. the Word of God. Yeah. I guess primarily I think about the written Word, yeah. um, making the things of God make sense to us. That's how I understand yeah. it. Yeah. So we read this text, and the Spirit is working in our minds so that we can understand its meaning and we can make application to our lives. Now, it's not to say that Scripture is therefore automatically perspicuous, that Mm -hmm. is to say clear, Mm -hmm. a very imperspicuous word, Uh, but it is to say that he gives us understanding that we could not possibly realize in and of ourselves. Yeah, Uh, unlike some other book, Mm -hmm. for example. this, at least in my understanding, you could take you could take another book, and you might need help in understanding that book because it's got big words. Or this is deeper than that. This is the Spirit of God saying, uh, convincing you that what you're reading has the ultimate ring of truth about it, right? Yeah. And that it applies to your life, and that these things really are real. These things, as Paul said, seeing the things that are unseen, right? That, and you hear these stories of people who will tell you, I read the Bible for a long, long time, and it was like any other kind of literature. And then I had a conversion experience, and all of a sudden, it was a completely Mm -hmm. different enterprise. Yeah, sometimes they'll say the words came off the page, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think that gets back to what you were saying earlier about the personal nature of, of this interaction, that the Spirit's a person. And so it's not just information, but the, but the Spirit is 
providing the presence of God. And, and in some way we can't quite understand is they're representing the Godhead, that we're mm-hmm. communing with the Father and with mm-hmm. the Son by the Spirit as yeah. well. And there aren't, there aren't human words to adequately explain how that works. Right. All right, so we've, we've thought about illumination. We've thought about regeneration. How about the Spirit's work of giving gifts and mm. generating fruit mm. in the life of the believer? Yeah. How, how can we encourage that without being the proverbial fruit inspectors mm-hmm. you know, who are going around yeah. to every other person yeah. and analyzing them in a way that's less than healthy? Yeah. Uh, that a question to me? <laughs> um, it seems like to me, Chris, that maybe one of the, the answers to not being the, you know, overly scrupulous fruit inspector is to realize that the Spirit is going to do His work in each person's life in a, in a unique mm-hmm. and not always on our timetable. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just talking to my wife about, not about that topic, but about how we like to get God sort of boxed in right and if if uh if my experience was in some way then yours must be too god does it exactly the same way um on on my timetable and that's just not true is it and i think it betrays a limited view of who god is Mm -hmm. that god must conform to my own experience yeah now yeah we look at god through our own lens of our experience and that's natural um, but I like how you said it. We can we can unwittingly put God in a box yeah. and fail to realize that no, He's going to do things in a in a different way, uh, in and through different people. Don't we often also assume that when we're looking for fruit in someone, it's going to be some sort of tangible task, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I see you've never you you aren't very good at witnessing, so clearly that's not something you're. Instead of saying, well, wait a minute, the fruit of the Spirit is things like love and kindness and joy. Yeah. Um, and some of the things you can't measure very well may also be fruit of the Spirit, right? Yeah, in the opening days of January, we might talk about our objectives for the year. You know, And it's interesting to hear what people say when they identify those goals. It's, as you just said, things we do. Yeah. It's measurable. Yeah. It's conspicuous. How about... Uh, cultivation of virtue. How yeah. about I just want to be more patient. I want to be more kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to have more self-control. I'm afraid we easily overlook that part of yeah. our calling and of the Spirit's work. But in fact, that's central. That's where it's at. Right. right. Yeah. When Paul gives that list in Galatians five, right? He starts with you. You have to help me here. But I have heard that explained that all of those attributes really are subsets of the first one. Yeah, of is love. That, is that your yeah, word? love, joy, peace, patience, so kindness, goodness. they're really goodness. all kind of outcomes of, of, of one thing, right? Yes, it, that's my understanding as well. Singular fruit. Yeah. Yes, so yeah. he's unpacking what love is yeah. in that way. All right, how about suffering? So again, we're you know, looking at the various uh, works of the Holy Spirit, and uh, one of the things the Spirit does is uphold us mm. in the midst of of suffering. In the sermon, I quoted a professor I had uh, during seminary who'd come over from the UK, and he happened to be an Anglican bishop, and he had this memorable statement. He said, why is it whenever Paul traveled and preached, uh, everywhere he went, riots broke out. Uh, but when I travel and preach, we have tea. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah. And uh, well, in, in the Thessalonican church, 
it was a riot that actually happened. Mm. And uh, we live in a day in which that's becoming more and more common. Yeah. I'm reading through Revelation right now, so... There you go. You know, Mm -hmm. you want to talk about suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a very pleasant picture of what, no matter how you interpret the book, you know, or which commentary you're reading, whether it's present, future, past, it, it doesn't, it doesn't give a picture of a church that is on a bed of roses, does it? Right. Yeah. That's right. And what um, Paul says in First Thessalonians is the Spirit gives us joy in the midst of suffering, mm-hmm. which leads us to remember that that was, in fact, uh, the Lord Jesus' experience. So Hebrews 12, uh, he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Or in Paul's experience, uh, he could sing for joy while he was in prison with Silas. So how can you and I have the audacity to think that confronted by real suffering, we can somehow realize joy of the Holy Spirit? Mm. Yeah, it's um, it, it has to be something deeper than circumstantial, doesn't it? I mean, it, otherwise you can't make sense out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I sometimes think in a rather uncomfortable way about where we are, at least I can only speak for the Western North American church. But the more I read through the New Testament of what seemed to be normative for them, I'm looking at those things and going, I don't recognize us here. (laughs) I mean, in terms of the suffering and the persecution and the, even if it's not full-blown persecution, just the sense of being marginalized. And uh, I find myself thinking, boy, where are we marginalized? Yeah. We kind of fit in, don't we? <laughs> I'll never forget a, a statement by Peter Kuzmich, who's a, a professor at Gordon-Conwell. And he grew up in Eastern Europe uh, under communism, or close to it for much of his life. And his dad was a pastor, and his, his dad suffered. So the KGB would come, and they would slap him around, and he would return home to little Peter and mm-hmm. his siblings. And, uh, you know, his mouth was all swollen, so he'd have to have soup. And it was during the 1980s when there were were a lot of scandals happening among conservative Protestants here in the States. And according to Peter, uh, his, his dad was reading about it at that time. And he asked the question, he said, is there no suffering over there? How is it that these Christian leaders can commit these embarrassing sins? Is there no suffering? And I've often thought... That's the right question. I mean, that, that puts it in perspective, yeah. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure does. All right, the final one I'd like to touch on is empowerment for witness. Mm-hmm. So we think of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out to enable God's people to embody and proclaim the good news. Um, what are some of the challenges and opportunities that stand before us now as we face this calling? Mm. Well, I think in some ways about what we said earlier in the in our podcast about um, our inability to convince anybody that the gospel is true. Yeah. You know, and so so this idea that we can maybe craft some kind of clever um, scheme to get people to believe just isn't true. It takes the power of the Spirit. Yeah. It's, it's also a matter, too, I think, of uh, avoiding the temptation of our day, among pastors at least, to uh, give ourselves to therapeutic and and Mm -hmm. managerial techniques of church growth. I've mentioned before that when I worked for the Billy Graham Center, where, by the way, they're doing fantastic work, I had opportunity to be in a lot of churches across the country. 
And I saw over and over again how methods rule the roost. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's important for us to recognize that danger. And yes, to be clear and relevant and and wise and creative, Mm -hmm. um, but understand that at at the end of the day, it's the, the power of the Spirit working through the Word that's going to result in gospel renewal. Right. Well, we should we'll probably have to do chapter two on this sometime <laughs> because uh, obviously it's an inexhaustible topic. But That's right. This has been fun. It has indeed. Yeah. Thank so, you, Craig. I uh, want to make sure and invite you to New Covenant Church where you can hear this guy preach and uh, another guy named Andrew Fulton. And uh, We'd love to have you. Uh, we're at the corner of 75th and Washington in Naperville. I think Angela is going to give you that uh, information here in a second when we close too, but come and, and visit us. We'd love it. And we'll provide that tour that we're talking about we'll, get, the we'll show you our bad drapes down here if you really <laughs> you'll have to ask for that though. that's right it's an extra all right thank you for joining us for the day after sunday we'd love to have you worship with us at new covenant church this sunday morning at 10 13 at the corner of south washington and 75th street in naperville and please join us next week for the day after sunday <laughs>